Why is seminary so expensive? At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we are committed to the reform of theological education toward meeting the needs of churches across the globe. Men of God cannot serve their churches well if they are burdened with tens of thousands of dollars in student loans from seminary. At CBTS, you can receive a robust theological education for nearly four times less than other institutions. To find out more about how you can receive an accredited theological degree at a cost that you can afford, visit cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. In exploring the life of Anne Steele, there are many events common to much of Baptist life at the time. For example, the close-knit, even guarded, church communities, the close family ties, the frequency of death and sorrow. But the Steels were unusual to some degree in that they were financially well-off. They lived what we might call an upper-middle-class, or perhaps even higher, lifestyle. This brought opportunities to Anne that she wouldn't have had otherwise. For example, After her schooling, she regularly traveled to stay lengthy periods at the homes of family and friends. Almost all of these were believing members of particular Baptist churches. Some were even wealthier than the Steeles and could afford a few of the luxuries of the day, including hooped skirts and spinet lessons, that is, being taught how to play the small harpsichord, as well as time for things other than laboring just to eat and survive. These advantages led to two related results in Anne's life. First, she was educated and raised in a family where reading, worship, and poetry were important. She had time to enjoy nature, meditate, and write, all of which she found great pleasure in. Second, her family's wealth meant that she didn't have to marry. It was presumed that she would, of course, but while women commonly needed to marry to provide for themselves, Anne didn't. As a young woman, Anne delighted to write in the style of the day. Each of her close friends was part of a literary circle who used Latin pseudonyms as pen names. Anne was Silviana, which means woods, and was fitting given her love of nature. At other times, she wrote as Theodosia, which means God's gift or given by God. Her sister Molly was Amira. Her brother William was Philander, and so on. They read the literature of the day as well as scripture and religious writings. Anne and her friends wrote letters, prose reflections, diaries, and poetry. And Anne was recognized as the center of this circle for her obvious gifts. We will look at her writing, especially her poems, used as hymns in a later episode. 
But now let's look at Anne's singleness. She never married, but not because of a lack of suitors. Remember that when she was 20, Anne had begun to develop at least a friendship with a potential husband in James Elkham before he died by drowning. Given her travels, education, family, and church friends, she must have come into contact with many men interested in her as a wife. One of these we know a great deal about because Jane kept an important letter from him and he became a well-known poet-pastor. His name was Benjamin Bedham. His father John was the pastor of the Pathay Baptist Church in Bristol. Benjamin was converted at age 20 and went to London, where he was baptized and joined a particular Baptist church. He studied for the ministry and labored in Burton-on-the-Water, where he would later settle with great success. He traveled and preached in the area. Perhaps that is where he met Anne. They were the same age, both with fathers who were pastors in particular Baptist churches, and both had money. Benjamin's mother was a wealthy woman descended from a brother-in-law to King Henry VIII. Both young people were spiritually fervent and delighted in literary pursuits, so it would seem that they were well-suited to each other. Sometime during the year 1742, Bedham was thinking about marriage and had written a prayer in poetic form that includes the following stanza. Let the companion of my youth be one of innocence and truth. Let modest charms adorn her face and give her thy superior grace. By heavenly art first make her thine, then make her willing to be mine. My dwelling place let Burton be, there let me live and live to thee. Clearly he desired marriage and a wife of a certain Christian character. It would seem that Anne was specifically in mind, because in December of that same year, Bedham wrote a letter to her. It is direct, literary, and passionate. He tells her he loves her in words very different than we would use today, but it is typical of the time, place, and social standing of them both. It reads as follows. Dear Miss, pardon the boldness which prompts me to lay these few lines at your feet. If continued thoughts of you and a disrelish to everything besides may be considered as arguments of love, surely I experience the passion. And if the greatness of a person's love will make up for the lack of wit, wealth, and beauty, then may I humbly lay claim to your favor. Since I had the happiness of seeing you, how often have I thought of Milton's beautiful description of Eve, book 8, line 471, Paradise Lost. So lovely fair, that what seemed fair in all the world seemed now mean, or in her summed up, in her contained, and in her looks which from that time infused sweetness into my heart unfelt before. Madam, Give me leave to tell you that these words speak the very experience of my soul, nor do I find it possible to forbear loving you. 
Would you but suffer me to come and lay before you those dictates of a confused mind which cannot be represented by a trembling hand and pen? Would you but suffer me to cast myself at your feet and tell you how much I love you? Oh, what an easement might you thereby afford to a burdened spirit, and at the same time give me an opportunity of declaring more fully that I am in sincerity your devoted servant. Borton, December 23, 1742, Benjamin Bedham. Benjamin was clearly smitten. He appealed to Anne in ways that would appeal to her, though seeming very out of date to us. But Anne did not return his interest, although, interestingly, she did keep his letter. We don't have Anne's answer back, but it must have been a no because they did not marry. Bedham may well have had a hard time getting over this because it would be seven more years before he would marry Elizabeth Boswell and raise a family in Burton on the Water. Why didn't Anne marry? There are hints of a partial answer in a letter to her sister. Later in life, she tells her that she had an offer of marriage but didn't accept because she thought it had, quote, a great many thorns. She goes on to say that, quote, the path was smoother on the unmarried side. Whether that assessment was specific to Bedham or another suitor is unknown, but it may well have been her attitude to all marriage. Yet this must be balanced with poems she wrote to others on their wedding days that treat marriage only as a blessing from God. She was in an unusual position of not having to marry. She had no economic needs and loved the quiet life of family, church, and literature. She never was healthy, and it's very possible that under the stresses of the responsibilities of children and a busy pastor husband that she thought she would be an invalid or a burden. And remember the many real thorns that accompanied the best marriages. Pregnancy and childbirth were often deadly. You could expect to grieve over the deaths of half of your children. Undoubtedly, there were other things along these lines in her mind. And so she devoted herself as a single woman to caring for her extended family, to writing, and to trying to stay healthy. For those of you wanting to read more about Anne Steele, to begin with, and I'll have more recommendations later, I would recommend two books. First, there is a fine summary article about her in Particular Baptist Press's The British Particular Baptists, Volume 4. And the best large biography is J.R. Broom's A Bruised Read, The Life and Times of Anne Steele, from which some of today's material has come. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace.